Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Last week, ladies and gentlemen, we talked about a couple of questions that I had gotten on college campuses recently. I've recently been to Baylor, University of Eastern Kentucky, University of Indiana Southeast, University of Louisville. This week, University of Akron. Next week, I'll be at uh, Tennessee, University of Tennessee, and then East Tennessee State University. And a couple of questions that we 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 got to last week were don't commands in the Bible change aren't the Old Testament commands different from the New Testament commands doesn't that mean that God has somehow changed and we also talked about cultures don't they change what they believe about morality does that mean there's no objective morality we dealt with those questions last week if you want answers to those questions go back and listen to last week's podcast uh, we also uh, had questions come up that I'll try and get to today. The old question about killing the Canaanites, obviously a big problem in the Old Testament, it seems. How do we answer that? We also got a question at, I got a question at University of Louisville, can a multiverse explain the apparent design of our universe? And also had a question regarding Islam. How do we know Islam is false? We'll try and get to those questions today. Uh, but I also want to talk about a couple of issues in the news before we get into that kind of Q&A couple of major issues in the news. Um, 20 years ago, Dr. Norman Geisler and I wrote a, a book called Legislating Morality. Is it wise? Is it legal? Is it possible? Uh, the book didn't sell nearly as much as say, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist sold, but it, it did. It was well received. It won a, what's called a gold medallion award, which is uh, the best Christian book in its category. And uh, it dealt with the question of, is it even possible to legislate morality? What about our moral, uh, our, our moral decline as a nation? Why, why are we experiencing that? What can we do about it? And on page 93, we have a little chart. And this is from, again, the book Legislating Morality. Originally came out in 1998. I can't believe it's been 20 years. Anyway, um, we have a chart that says the top disciplinary problems, according to public school teachers in the 1940s, this was the list, talking, chewing gum, making noise, running in the halls, cutting in line, improper clothing, littering, 1940s, 1990s, this is when the book was written, Legislating Morality, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, pregnancy, suicide, rape, robbery, assault. These are the things going on in public schools in the 1990s. Now we have a rash of school shootings. In fact, right at the end of 1990, uh, there was, of course, the Columbine shooting. And now it seems like these shootings happen almost every other month. The question is, why are we experiencing these shootings? But why didn't we experience, in, experience them, say, 70 years ago in the 1940s? I mean, we had guns 70 years ago. Now, I don't think there's one reason. I think this is a complicated issue. I think broken families are probably a big contributing cause. In fact, if you look at the statistics regarding people who are in prison, 
something like 90% of them come from broken homes. I mean, young people who are brought up in broken homes are much more apt to commit crime and wind up in prison. I, I believe that the shooter uh, from the Florida shooting this week comes from a broken home. Now, obviously, <laughs> don't jump to conclusions here. I'm not saying every kid from a broken home is going to do this. I'm just saying that statistically, kids are much worse off as a rule there are exceptions, but as a rule, they're much worse off in many indicators. And one of them, of course, is if they get in trouble with the law. But it's a complicated issue. I will say this. Common sense should tell us that if we tell our kids there is no God, which we essentially do in our public school system, if we tell them there is no purpose to life, if we tell them that they ought to follow their feelings, then I think that such nihilism is going to contribute to extremely negative behavior. Again, it's a complicated issue. It's not just one thing that's responsible, but it seems to make sense that if you teach kids there's no purpose to life and they get to make up their own purpose, then you're going to have trouble. And you notice that people on the news immediately diagnose shooters like this as mentally unstable. They immediately say, well, they're mentally ill. They're experiencing mental illness. Now, maybe they are. We can't diagnose from afar. However, and this is going to sound insensitive, but I think it's true. If someone believes that there really is no God, there's no right and wrong, ultimate right and wrong, there is no judgment, there is no objective purpose to life, how is it irrational if that person follows his darkest thoughts and kills people? I mean, if there is no objective purpose to life, but this shooter's subjective purpose in life is to get some thrill from murdering people, you can't claim he's objectively wrong or unreasonable. He's simply following the implications of his worldview. In fact, uh, an a more recent book that I wrote called Stealing from God. There's a chapter in there on morality. And here is a quotation from the chapter. Atheists call murderers like Stalin, Mao, and Pol Pot, who were atheists themselves, madmen, as if reason alone should have led them to act morally. But those dictators were very reasonably following their atheistic belief that without God, Everything is permissible. Reason is a tool by which we discover what the moral law is, but it can't account for why the moral law exists in the first place. For the moral law to exist, God must exist. If God does not exist, then why not murder to get what you want if you can get away with it? It's certainly not unreasonable, unquote. You see, if you're following reason and you think the goal of life is just to satisfy your own darkest desires, then it's completely reasonable to do that. Because reason by itself is amoral. You need a moral component to guide how you're going to behave. Now, again, don't miss this. The shooter may be mentally unstable. I don't know. All I'm saying is that he might be acting rationally, given the lies that our education and entertainment industries have been, have been telling everyone. That if, you, that, that if you get to decide right and wrong for yourself, then why not just do what you want? 
that if you get to define what the meaning of life is, then why can't your meaning be to murder people? That no, if, if nobody has authority to tell you what to do, that the self is supreme, which is basically the message put forth in our public school system. There is no objective morality. It's all about you, whatever you want to do. Then how can you say that this young man is objectively wrong? In order to do so, you've got to steal from God. Because God is the standard of goodness, and any deviation from God is what we would call evil. You can't, you can't take out objective purpose and objective moral values and expect young people to act morally. C.S. Lewis famously said that we, that we, we take out the virtue, we take people, we teach them nihilism, basically, and then we expect them to act virtuous. Why, why would we do, why would we expect them to act virtuous when we claim there is no real ultimate virtue? That there is no God, there is no day of judgment, there is no ultimate right or wrong. You get to decide everything. And by the way, there's no such thing as a valueless education. There's no such thing as a moralist education. The only question is whose values and whose morals will be taught. It's a value to say that God or Christianity should be ex excluded from schools. It's a value to say that the self is supreme, that you should follow your feelings. It's a value to say that parents should not have a choice as to what school their children attend. By the way, that might be one, one way to solve the problem. Just tell parents they can send their kids where they want to send them. Anyway, we'll talk more about this right after the break. I'm Frank Turek. Don't go away. If you find value in the content of this podcast, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find more. Just type cross-examine or Frank Turek on the search bar. Also, visit our website where we add new videos, articles, and free resources daily. There is no such thing as a valueless education. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Our website, crossexamined.org. That's crossexamined with a D on the end of it, .org. And uh, don't forget to download the free Cross-Examined app. Well over 150,000 downloads now. People are finding it helpful. Has our TV show on there. This podcast is on there. Has a quick answer section on there. Uh, it, you can also get notified. For example, when we're going to be live streaming a college event, you'll get a notification if you allow notifications that it's going to be live. This week, we're going to be broadcasting, streaming live from University of Tennessee and uh, East Tennessee State. University of Tennessee, I think, is the 20th. That's a Tuesday. And then 21st is uh, Wednesday at East Tennessee State. So uh, if you want to know when these events are happening... Then download the app and check notifications. Also like our Facebook page, crossexamined.org. Also DR Frank Turek. We have two Facebook pages. Check those out there. And uh, I want to mention also that uh, this coming Tuesday, the 20th, begins the historical reliability of the Gospels course with the man who wrote the book, Dr. Craig Blomberg. And by the way, Dr. Blomberg not only wrote the book, The Historical Reliability of the Gospels, a book that helped me immensely in uh, 
learning why the Gospels are telling the truth. But he also wrote a book on the historical reliability of John's Gospel. And in that Gospel, there are 59 historically confirmed or historically probable eyewitness details that only an eyewitness would know. And Blomberg lists them all in that book. We put those details in I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, Chapter 10. So Blomberg is at the top of his game. He's one of the top scholars in the world on this issue. If you want to learn from him, and by the way, you can ask him questions because there are going to be three occasions when he's going to come on live. If you take the premium course, three occasions, he's going to come on live and answer your questions via Zoom video. I mean, this is unlike any any other course you can take. Uh, typically, you can't ask questions of a video. <laughs> but in this case, you're going to have him live on video so you can ask him questions. Yeah, there's there's video you watch that's recorded, but... There's also an opportunity to take uh, to, to, to ask him questions live via video. And that's true of most of the courses that we're running here. Just go to crossexamine.org and click on resources. You'll see all the courses coming up. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist is going to be taught again uh, coming up in April, as well as intro to theology with uh, Dr. Michael Patton. Michael Patton is a, well, he may not be a doctor. He's a, he's a master's from, uh, from Dallas Theological Seminary, Credo courses, great courses. So you can take courses there. We're going to have courses from Gary Habermas and uh, Daniel Wallace and hopefully Daryl Bach and, and some others, Jay Warner Wallace. Check all that out at crossexamine.org. Click on resources. We were talking before the break. And by, by the way, with regard to Blomberg course, you can take the course anytime you want if you want to take it self-paced. You don't have to start on the 20th. But if you want to be part of the, the small group that actually interacts live with Dr. Blomberg, you, you're going to start uh, this coming week on the 20th. If you're hearing this a little bit later, you can start a few days later, but you get the idea. You got you to gotta sign up soon. Uh, and we keep those the premium course small so you can actually, uh, you can actually interact and uh, not, not be overwhelmed by the number of people in the class. Anyway, we were talking about... Uh, these tragic school shootings and what you can do about it. It's a complicated issue. I mean, people talk about gun control and many other things. If you, if you want more on that issue, go back to um, the November 11th, 2017 podcast that I did with Detective Jay Warner Wallace on this, because we talked about school shootings and, and gun violence and all that on that podcast. I'm not going to revisit all that here now, but you can go there and uh, check all that out. The point I'm trying to make here is, is that part of the problem, part of the difference between the 1940s and the, uh, you know, the 2010s, this decade we're in, and part of the reason that we have such extreme violence in our school system, in my view, part of the reason, not all the reason, part of the reason is we're not teaching people that God exists, that there really is an objective right and wrong, and you can know it, and that there is going to be a day of judgment. You say, well, that would be a separation of church and state. That's just nonsense. You don't know the history if you think that. I don't care what the Supreme Court says. I mean, for for nearly 200 years, we had the Bible in schools. For nearly, and what, 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 did the founders who wrote the Constitution and wrote the First Amendment not understand what it meant? No. Of course they understood what it meant. Uh, yeah, I mean, you could just teach the Bible as uh, as history if you want or you could just point out that this is an an important element of our country it's an important element of reality the fact that that there is a god that our country was founded on a creator uh wasn't founded on on the bible it was founded on a creator it was founded on the idea that there are objective moral values because they come from a creator as our declaration of independence says and you, you don't need the bible to know this now our our country was was descriptively Christian, but it wasn't prescriptively Christian. In other words, you didn't have to be a Christian to become 
a citizen or to serve uh, in, in federal office. Interestingly enough, by the way, if you look at some of the uh, constitutions of our early states, they required in the Constitution that you were a Christian to serve in state government. They didn't in federal government, but in state government. And you read some of these constitutions and they, they sound like it's a it's a, a statement of beliefs from a local church. Some of these constitutions. But that's that's beside the point. And, and by the way, in the book, Legislating Morality, the book I, I referenced earlier, the one we wrote 20 years ago, uh, deals with all these issues about separation of church and state and all this. In fact, there's a difference between imposing religion and imposing morality. Everybody imposes morality, but not everybody imposes religion. If you go to a if you go to a, a school and they teach you right and wrong and that there is a God, you're not imposing religion, but you are imposing morality. And that's what all laws do. That's what all education does. Even an education that says you get to decide what's right for you. That's a moral point of view. That's not neutral. That's saying you are God in, a, in, in effect. So, I mean, you can't get away from it. The question is, what is the right view? And I think the right view is there is a God. You are not him. There are certain things that are right. Other things are wrong. And there will be a day of judgment. We ought to be teaching that. We ought to be teaching that in, in our school system. Otherwise, you get nihilism. And you get at least partially. You, it's, this is a, a, a partial cause for things like this. You get these horrific. These horrific school shootings. Again, I'm not saying it's the only cause. It's too, it's too complicated. There are many things going on here. Broken families, um, entertainment, social media. It could be a number of things going on here. But to somehow leave out the moral component, I think, is just naive. And uh, I think it's dangerous. I think we have to teach right and wrong, and we have to teach that there is a God, you are not him. And there will be a day of judgment. All right, let me go to the next topic in the news, and then we'll get to these uh, other questions that I mentioned earlier. There was a, an incident this week uh, between a view woman by the name of Joy Behar. You've probably heard of her, The View. She's a woman that's on this, I guess, this ladies talk show on ABC during the day. And um, according to Jay Behar, let's see what she actually said, because I don't want to misquote her. Um, oh, there was a woman who used to be in the White House, Amarosa Manigault. Newman, the reality television star turned White House staffer. She was on this show, I guess, earlier this week. And this is according to an article by Todd Starnes at Fox News. Apparently, what uh, Amarosa said, she said this, as bad as you think Trump is, you should be worried about Pence. Everyone that is wishing for impeachment might want to reconsider their life, she said during a clip from Celebrity Big Brother. Oh, this is from Celebrity Big Brothers. Maybe she wasn't on The View. And Amarosa said, I am a Christian. I love Jesus. But he thinks Jesus tells him to say things. Well, according to Starnes, that bit of news was more than Behar and the other gals on The View could stomach. It's one thing to talk about Jesus. It's another thing when Jesus talks to you, Behar said. That's called mental illness. If I'm not correct... Hearing voices. Now, Mike Pence came along uh, in a C-SPAN uh, piece, said, my faith sustains me in all that I do. 
And the vice president said the view hosts insulted the vast majority of the American people who cherish faith. It demonstrates how out of touch some in the mainstream media are with the faith and values of the American people that you could have a major network like ABC permit a forum for invective against religion like that, he said. All right, let me stop right there. That all may be true. Maybe he has offended or she, Behar, has offended the American people, many of them whom are Christians. But with all due respect to the vice president, this is exactly the line of argumentation we ought not be taking. I'm offended. Who cares if you're offended? I mean, come on. Let's be adults here. Why not respond to Miss Behar by saying something like, well, Miss Behar, you may not understand what Christianity is all about. And I would highly encourage you to read a book about what Christianity is all about, if not the Bible itself, maybe a book that points out that Christianity is actually true. And it's not mental illness. It's actually following reason to its logical conclusion. It's following the evidence where it leads. In fact, that's what faith is. Faith is not believing what you know ain't so, as say Richard Dawkins would say. Faith is trusting in what you have good reason to believe. And Miss Behar, there are very good reasons to believe that Christianity is true. That would be the way I think to handle this in a very respectful way, rather than claiming offense and wow, why we should. He's basically saying we ought to we ought to somehow censor Jay Behar for saying what she said. No, she could say what she wants. If it insults people, it insults people. But that's not the way to deal with it, to, to, to try and claim offense. That's what the left does. That's ridiculous. It's a, it's a free country. You can say what you want. So, I mean, it might not be wise for people on ABC to say this. It, it may, they may lose viewers. They may gain viewers. Who knows? But that's not the point. The point is Christianity is true. Now, she seems to be saying hearing voices is what is what is termed mental illness. Well, unless God exists and really wants to communicate to you that way. Now, let me let me say right up front. I, I, I never hear God's voice, an audible voice. Never have. I know some people out there listening say you have. I have never heard God's voice. I think God primarily speaks through his word. That's his voice. In fact, why would you need a word if God were going to tell us everything directly uh, by speaking to us directly? You wouldn't even need the Bible. He would just tell you what to do all the time. No, God speaks primarily through his word. The question of whether or not he speaks on occasion to people directly. Well, we could talk about that from a theological perspective. But I would, instead of claiming offense, I would try and say, why don't you read this apologetics book? Why don't you read this theology book? Why don't you really get educated rather than claiming something is a mental illness? All right, we'll get to some of these other questions right after the break. I'm Frank Turek. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Back in two. College campuses are hostile to the Christian faith, and three out of four young people walk away from the church once they go to college. That's why we go to college campuses and present I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist in the United States and even all over the world. When we do this, 
we don't charge students a dime. That's why we need your financial support. In fact, over the past couple of years, we've been able to grow dramatically because of your generous support. And 100% of your donations go to ministry. Zero percent go to building. So when you give to Cross-Examined, you'll be giving to help us go reach young people where they are. Would you consider giving today? Thank you so much, and thank you so much for what you've done already. Are you offended? Are you? Well, if you are, get over it. This is America. Put on your big boy pants. Somebody says something that offends you, move on. Or challenge the statement with facts. Don't just claim you're offended. What, what, are we a bunch of third graders here? I mean, that's just ridiculous. We were just talking about how Vice President Mike Pence, whom I love, by the way, uh, I think he's a, a fine Christian man, claimed offense when Joy Behar said, hey, you know, this could be mental illness, Christianity, if you're hearing voices. Well, generally, if you are hearing voices, you might say, well, she, she could have a case there if you're hearing voices, especially voices that tell you dark things. But Mike Pence isn't hearing voices that, if, if he is hearing voices at all, that tell him to do dark th- things. He may be having the prompting of the Holy Spirit to, to tell him to do something good, right? But the point is, is not to, not to come back and claim you're offended. Come back with some evidence that Christianity is true. What an opportunity to say, hey, let's look at the evidence rather than claim offense. All right. Oh, we just claim offense. You're just trying to shut the other person up. The only way you're going to be able to learn is if you let people speak and then you interact with what they say and see if what they say is true. Challenge it. What do you mean by that? How'd you come to that conclusion? Remember those questions we've talked about on this show ad infinitum. Ask people questions. Don't just claim offense. That's ridiculous. All right. Some of these other questions that I have gotten recently on college campuses, I want to unpack a little bit more thoroughly here than I can on a college campus. Because when you're on a college campus and you've got a big line of questioners, you can't spend 15 minutes on a question because people are waiting. So you can just kind of give an overview, maybe a point or two. As John Lennox says, you, you can't give a complete answer. Maybe you can give a doorway to an answer. In fact, even on radio, I can't give a complete answer. So some of these some of these issues are complicated and there's a lot of moving parts and there's a lot of nuance we don't have time to get into. That's why people write books about these things. But let's deal with this question of the Canaanites, because we've talked about it on here many moons ago. But let's revisit the question. I've. I've had uh, people like uh, Paul Copan on to talk about this issue. If you go back in the archives, go to the app and look up Paul Copan. You'll see a program, Is God a Moral Monster? Did God Commit Genocide? Those are two of his books, by the way, that you can go into much more depth on. I've had Clay Jones on, who disagrees with Paul Copan's assessment. He's another evangelical scholar. We had him on uh, a couple of times to talk about issues like this. So you can go back and really get a more robust answer in those previous podcasts. But let's just talk about uh, this issue. Is it is it is God immoral for ordering the killing of the Canaanites? And let's start out by pointing out that if there is no God, then why is any such Old Testament atrocity wrong? Because you hear atheists, and I get this usually from atheists, you know, they'll ask the question about the Canaanites, and I usually stop them and I say, are you an atheist? Okay, if you're an atheist, 
then why do you think whatever happens in the New Testament or the Old Testament or anywhere in the Bible is right or wrong? What standard do you have to judge anything right or wrong? Because if there is no God, then there is no objective standard of rightness, which means nothing is ultimately right or wrong because wrong is just a deviation from the standard of rightness. And if that standard doesn't exist, everything's a matter of opinion. So what's your standard by which you complain about the Old Testament God? Now, I will be quick when I, I ask an atheist this, I'll say, now, if you're saying, okay, I can't complain about it, but Frank, if you're a Christian and you're claiming God is good, then this appears to be a problem for your worldview. And that would be a fair charge from an atheist. In other words, the atheist could say, okay, I might not have a standard, but you're saying God is good. Why does he, why does he kill people in the Old Testament? That's a, that's a fair question to ask. And my next response to that is, or my next question to that is, is God arbitrary or does he give reasons for judging people in the Old Testament? And when you look at the context of the Canaanite passages, you realize that God isn't arbitrary that God is actually judging people for some of the horrific things they were doing, which included all sorts of sexual sin and even included the sacrificing of their children to the molten hot metal idol called Molech. They would heat this idol up and put the, the, their babies on the arms of this idol and just watch the baby sizzle to death. In fact, Plutarch, a Greek writer, writes about this. He says that the, the drummers uh, in this ritual would drum or would beat their drums more loudly at this point so the parents could not hear the screams of their children who were being sacrificed to Molech. So God, at one point after 400 years, saying the iniquity of the Canaanites is not complete. And then finally, after 400 years of putting up with this kind of behavior, he finally says, that's it. This must end. Now, on every college campus I go to, I hear atheists claiming if there is a good God, why doesn't he stop evil in the world? Well, here's an instance in the Old Testament where God actually steps in to stop evil and the atheists are complaining about it, right? God's trying to stop child sacrifice and all these other sins that the Canaanites are committing and they're complaining that he's doing it. And by the way, quite frequently, and these atheists who will bring up these objections during the conversation, I'll ask them this question. I'll say, oh, by the way, are you, are you pro-abortion or are you pro-life? And invariably they'll say, oh, I'm pro-abortion. And then I'll say to them, let me ask you a question. Why is it that when God plays God in the Old Testament and decides who lives and who dies, that somehow he's immoral? But when you play God here right now and decides who lives and who dies when it comes to babies in the womb, that that somehow is a moral right. So when God plays God, he's immoral. But when you play God, that's a moral right. Can you justify that for me? No, they can't. They can't justify that. And here it is. Babies, innocent, and we're killing them. Canaanites, guilty. God kills them, and somehow he's immoral. The logic just doesn't follow here, friends. So, he's not arbitrary. He actually steps in because of sin. This is judgment. This is not some sort of... Uh, 
not some sort of arbitrary, let's just wipe the Canaanites out as if he were some crazed mob boss who just wakes up one morning and says, the Canaanites, I want them dead. No, this is judgment. And what Clay Jones says, who is a scholar from Biola University, who I said, whom I said before we've had on the program, um, he says, look, we don't understand the Canaanites because we don't understand sin and how evil sin is. And God decided to judge sin. And what Clay says ultimately is the Canaanites got what they deserved. And you say, oh, come on, killing all the women and children? I mean, I could see, okay, God, if he wants to take people out who are sacrificing their children to idols. By the way, we, we sacrifice our own children to idols. What's the idol of convenience, isn't it? That's what abortion is. In any event, if God wants to take people out who are sacrificing their children to idols, okay, but why kill the children themselves? He's, he's going too far. And here's where Paul Copan will step in and say, wait a minute. These commands to kill women, children, livestock, all this, he claims, Paul Copan does, Dr. Paul Copan says that these were exaggerated claims that was very common in ancient Near East culture to say that we annihilate people or we, we will annihilate them would be equivalent to us using the same kind of language when we say we annihilated the other team. It doesn't mean we wipe them out, but we beat them. We push them out. And the reason Copan says this is there are examples in other ancient Near Eastern culture, literature that uses this kind of hyperbole, but also because if you read, say, a passage in Deuteronomy 7, where it says, okay, wipe everybody out. And then the next verse says, and then don't intermarry with them. And you're thinking, wait a minute. If everybody's wiped out, how could you intermarry with them? They're gone. And the reason they're not gone is because Copan says this, these were not literal commands. These were hyperbolic commands that was very common in that day to make such hyperbolic commands. It meant to drive people out of the land so the promised people could come into the promised land to get the promised Messiah to the promised cross so his ultimate promises could be fulfilled to save humanity from themselves. But let's say Copan's wrong about that. Let's say that Clay Jones is right and these commands are actual, they're literal commands to kill everybody, wipe everybody out. Here's my question. Is God committing murder by ending lives on earth? I mean, I mean, when, when somebody dies, does God murder them? No, God doesn't murder anyone. We can murder people because we're not God. I mean, when we take an innocent life, that's murder. It's not God for take a, to take an innocent life. And ultimately, nobody's innocent, we understand. But it's not God. It's not murder for God. God is the creator of life. And God can resurrect life. We can't. We don't have the authority to take somebody else's life without cause. God does. Of course, God has a cause. Don't get me wrong. I'm simply saying that God can't murder. When God kills somebody, it's not murder. Because God is the creator of life and he can resurrect life. In fact, if Christianity is true, people never die. They just change location. In other words, they go from this location to eternity. 
And it's up to God when that happens. God has the right to usher people into the next life, whether they are two years old or 82 years old. It's up to him. He has that authority. We don't have that authority. God has that authority. So if these commands are literal, God has the authority to take anybody's life at any, at any time. The bigger issue that I struggle with, uh, uh, frankly, is, and, and yes, my name's Frank, but honestly, let me say, is like God commands the Israelites to wipe them out. Now that had to be difficult for the Israelites. And why, why not just smite them like he did Sennacherib's army? You know, bring a plague in there, they all die. I, I don't know the answer to that. I mean, maybe, maybe there's some object lesson that Israel learns through this. Could be, I don't know. But the point here is, is that God has the right to take people's life at any time. The other point we need to, we need to briefly mention is that the Old Testament theocracy in which this took place was unique and temporary. It was not the ideal for all time, but the means to a promised new covenant. So these, have, these commands in the Old Testament were very, very specific for that specific time and that specific people. They don't carry over now to now. That, dealt, that, that was dealing with the Old Testament theocracy, not today. Those commands are gone. And we'll talk more about tough questions right after the break. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Don't go away. We're back in two. We work hard to create great content and deliver truth and valuable insights to all of our Cross-Examine podcast listeners. If you agree, take 30 seconds out of your busy schedule to leave us a five-star rating so more people like you can find us. Just look for the Cross-Examine official podcast, three words on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. We are truly grateful for your support. Cross-Examine Instructor Academy. As you know, we run that every August, and we're doing it again in Dallas this year. It's uh, mid-August. I think it's the 16th to the 18th. That's where you can learn how to present I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist and other truths about the Christian faith and how you can present it in such a way that it is uh, winsome and logical and compelling and how you can answer questions in the same way. In other words, it's more about presenting. That's what we teach you at the Cross-Examine Instructor Academy. This will be our, our 11th year, and it's in August. And what we're doing this year, in addition to CIA, we're doing advanced CIA, and that's even sooner. That begins, or that, that event occurs in early May right here in Charlotte, North Carolina. But you're going to need to sign up for that one soon. If you've already been to CIA, or you have... A significant apologetics experience, you can apply for advanced CIA. That's where we're going to really drill down and help you individually with your ministry and your presentation and your question answering skills. We're even going to have a representative from David C. Cook, an acquisitions editor from Cook, to help you get your book published or show you what you can do to help you get a book published if you're interested in writing an apologetics book. So he's going to be there as well. Myself, Greg Kokel, Jay Warner Wallace, and others, Bobby Conway. In fact, we're going to hold it at Bobby's church up there in uh, Cornelius, North Carolina, just, just north of Charlotte. It's, uh, it's 30 minutes from the Charlotte airport. And uh, you need to sign up by March 15th. You need to 
apply by March 15th. Let me put it that way. We don't necessarily take everyone. This is going to be a smaller class than the normal CIA. We're thinking anywhere from 20 to 30 people, probably somewhere in that range. And you're going to get individualized attention. And we are going to cover issues that you want to know. How can you turn your blog into a book? How can you work with PowerPoint better? How can you answer some of the toughest questions in Christianity? How can you uh, do a podcast? How can you improve your social media presence? All of these kind of very practical, uh, practical skills we're going to talk about there. So you're going to want to be a part of Advanced CIA, but you need to sign up. You need to apply again. I should keep saying to sign up. You don't just sign up. You apply and go to crossexamine.org and you'll find Advanced CIA there in one of the menus. Apply very quickly because that class is filling up as well. All right. We were talking about uh, questions that I've gotten from college students at recent college events. Another question I got, uh, other than the Canaanite question we covered in the last segment, is the multiple universe theory, the multiverse. You hear that comes up a lot now because uh, scientists have pretty much concluded that the universe is fine-tuned, that if you were to change any one of a number of factors about our universe just virtually imperceptibly, that there either would be no universe or it would be a universe that couldn't support life. Any one of a number. It's, if, it's, it's as if there's a, a control room somewhere that has all sorts of dials set to exactly the right level. You know, the gravitational force, the strong and weak nuclear force, the electromagnetic force, the expansion rate of the universe, the cosmological constant, the, the ratio of certain, certain subatomic particles to one another. All of these are set just where they need to be. And if you change any one of them imperceptibly, there is no universe or there is no life or both. And people are going, well, atheists are saying, well, it might not be that a designer did this. It might be, it might be that uh, there are multiple universes and ours just happens to be the one that has this specific set of values by chance. There's no design behind it, but if you have enough universes, one of them is going to have this set of parameters, and therefore we're just here kind of by the luck of the draw. We're just lucky. This is their, this is their argument. Now, even an agnostic like astronomer Paul Davies says, the multiverse is a dodge. Nobody would be thinking about multiple universes if the uni this universe didn't appear so fine-tuned. I mean, it's just a way to try and avoid the obvious implication that there's a designer. Now, how do we respond to this? Well, Davies is responding to a certain extent, but let me, let me give you a few points about this issue. Number one, there's no evidence for a multiverse. It's purely speculative. For the people who are claiming all we can believe in are things that we can see, touch, taste, hear, smell, or you know, our five senses, those are the only things we, we, ought to, we ought to believe in. Well, can, can you see, hear, touch, taste, or smell the multiverse or another universe? No. They're, they're somehow distinct from our universe if they exist at all. So why are you believing in them if you're claiming that you, uh, you shouldn't believe anything that you can't see with your senses or you can't sense with your senses? Of course, that very statement, you shouldn't believe anything that you can't sense with your senses, can't be sensed by your senses. 
I mean, it's not something you see here, touch, taste, smell, or you know, it's it's kind of a self-defeating philosophical proposition to say that. In fact, you couldn't know anything without things you can't see, hear, taste, touch, or smell. Like like why? Because the laws of logic are things you can't see, hear, taste, touch, or smell. You have to start with things you can't can't see, hear, taste, touch, or smell in order to see, hear, taste, touch, or smell anything. This is what philosophers do, by the way. We think about these things. In any event, the point is it's purely speculative is the multiverse. Secondly, multiple universes would multiply the need for a creator because each universe, if it did exist at all, would need creation to get started. And the cosmologists Valenkin, Bord, and Guth, those three cosmologists, found that even a multiverse needs an absolute beginning. So it doesn't appear you get rid of the need for a beginner. Let's say there are other universes out there. I'm not against that. I'm not opposed to that. Maybe there are. How does that get rid of the need for a creator? It doesn't. It might multiply the need for a creator because now you've got all these other universes. And the universes can't be eternal. It can't be eternal because if they're eternal, then, um, well, let's just take our universe. Our universe can't be eternal. Well, there's a number of reasons for that, but let's just take a philosophical reason. In the book, in the book um, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, we give five lines of scientific evidence the universe is not eternal. Let me just give you a philosophical line of evidence it's not eternal. If it were eternal, today never would have arrived. Why? Because there can't be an infinite number of moments before today, or let's just say an infinite number of days before today. And today be here. Why? Because if there were an infinite number of days before today, then you would never arrive at today because there'd always be another day to live before you got to today. Why? Because there's an infinite number of them. So there must have been a first day for today to have gotten here. And if that's the case, that means time had a beginning. And if time had a beginning, whatever created time must be timeless. And if you're timeless, you don't have a beginning yourself. In other words, you are the unmoved mover, the uncreated creator, the great I am, i.e. God. That's the point. So there can't be eternal universes. They had to have a beginning. And if they had a beginning... They must have had a beginner who's spaceless, timeless, and immaterial because space, time, and matter were created. So whatever created space, time, and matter must transcend space, time, or matter. Thirdly, another problem with the multiverse. Who or what is producing these universes and keeping them from colliding? I mean, if there are the universes out there, why don't we see them? And who, who, who created these? Number four, this theory for the multiverse actually multiplies his causes beyond necessity. This is something known as Occam's razor, a philosophical principle which says, look, don't multiply causes beyond necessity. If one supernatural being can explain the data, you don't need to posit a, a billion or a trillion or a zillion universes to get you the same data that you have. It's much more likely that one supernatural cause is the cause rather than these multiple universes. You're multiplying causes beyond necessity. 
Now, people just don't like the fact that there's a supernatural cause. Why? Because the supernatural cause often also happens to be moral, and people don't want a moral component to the universe. They don't want there to be a God because they want to be God. And many atheists have admitted this. Even, even the great Thomas Nagel, who has really punctured, he's an atheist himself, by the way, he's really punctured the worldview of atheists when he wrote the book Mind and Cosmos uh, five or six years ago, pointing out why the neo-Darwinian view of the universe or of reality is almost certainly false. He's pointing out that neo-Darwinism and materialism can't account for our minds. It can't account for so much of what we see is true and real. And when he wrote that book, it sent the atheists into a tizzy on the blogosphere. But he admitted 20 years prior to that in another book called The Last Word that he doesn't want there to be a God. He doesn't want the universe to be that way. Christopher Hitchens, of course, famously connected morality, saying God is a cosmic North Korean dictator peering in on our sex lives. Well, for Hitchens, it wasn't the evidence that was a problem. It was the fact that God was a moral being, and he didn't want a moral being holding Hitchens accountable. Now, is this true of all atheists? I can't say that, but many of them have admitted it. They don't want there to be a God. In fact, both Lawrence Krauss and Richard Dawkins, two prominent atheists, have admitted one could make a good case for a deistic version of God, meaning a creator who creates. Well, Deism and theism are just a small step away. They're admitting that it looks like there could be a creator out there, but they want him to be a deist creator, not a theist creator. Why? Because a deist creator doesn't get involved in the world from a moral perspective or a, or a miracles perspective. He doesn't bring morality with him, but a supernatural theistic God, like the God of the Bible, does bring morality. All right, there's more on this, friends, but again, we're out of time. Uh, if you want more on uh, the multiverse, go to William Lane Craig's website, reasonablefaith.org, and look, look up uh, the, uh, the cosmological argument and I think uh, the uh, design argument, little videos he's done. They're really great on this. All right, friends, I'm Frank Turek. Great being with you. Don't forget the Craig Blomberg course, the historical reliability of the Gospels this week. Go to crossexamine.org for more. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the Cross-Examined Podcast. This material is made available to you for free by the contributions of listeners like you. If you wish to support future podcasts, just go to crossexamine.org and click on the Donate button, or simply use the Donate feature directly on our app. Thanks.